Let me uh, read the Lord's word. Uh, This is God's very word from Psalm 103, and then our response will be, thanks be to God. So hear the word of the Lord from Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He has made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. He would not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. So Father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, and he remembers that we are dust. As for a man, his days are like grass, he flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray for the preaching of God's word. Would you pray with me? Father God, as we come now before your very word, we pray, Lord, that you would in Enlighten our hearts and our minds that we would be quick to receive the word we have before us. Lord, to to know without any doubt that you have this kind of steadfast love for us. That you fully do and completely forgive our sins. Lord, as high as the heavens are above the earth. Lord, as far as the east is from the west. Would you impress this word upon our hearts? I also ask, Father, that you would work in my weakness. And use even that weakness for your glory. We pray it in the name of Christ. Amen. So when I was in elementary school, um, I was a bad student. And not like a misbehave. I did misbehave at times, but like I was, my grades were poor. Um, in fact, my parents had me tested for ADHD because they were concerned about that. They thought that I had it. I didn't. Um, and I'd watch all the other kids get you know, decent or good grades, and I began to say to myself, because I didn't, through my elementary school years, that I, I wasn't smart. Just thought, I'm not smart. And I began to define myself by this condition I found myself in. My condition being that because I did poorly in school, that I lacked intelligence. And then around eighth grade, I went to an after-school program, uh, and at that after-school program, they, they studied you, on, they kind of showed you how you learn. And uh, I worked with the teacher there who explained to me that what I thought was my condition was actually not my condition at all. Uh, she told me a different story about myself. 
She told me that I, I was actually smart, um, but that I learned differently than other children learned. Um, and she helped me to learn in a way that suited my learning style. Uh, and it worked. And from then on, my grades started to go up. And I felt like my whole life I had this reverse school experience where I did horribly my younger years in school and then very good towards my grad school years. Now, I'm not saying that to, to pat myself on the back, but it's to share with you that for years and years, I struggled to believe that I was an intelligent person. And I can still struggle uh, to believe that. But here's what I learned. That just because I was failing didn't mean that I was stupid. <laughs> or to put it another way, my actions did not define my condition. My actions did not define my condition. So I want to propose to you that this psalm is saying a similar thing. That your actions, however forgetful, however rebellious, however weak, do not define who you are. That it is only God who defines who you are. God defines you. And this psalm traces the forgetfulness, the rebellion, and the weakness of the Israelites. So that even in that, they can hear that God's steadfast love remains on them. that he forgives them, and that they don't get what they deserve. So how can this be? Well, we know that in reality, our condition would be really bad if it were not for Jesus. We know that because Jesus uh, did the work on the cross we could not do, we can be forgiven. We can be accepted before God. We can even be loved by him. So I want to, us to get this message today, that it is God who defines your condition by Christ's action. God defines your condition by Christ's action. So three things. God defines your condition, our condition, in our forgetfulness, in our rebellion, and in our weakness. Those are my three points. Forgetfulness, rebellion, and weakness. So let's begin with forgetfulness. So we need to begin in our text by asking ourselves, what does it mean to bless the Lord? Verse one, how can we Bless God. So here blessing means to praise him for his faithful acts, both to us and throughout the history of his people. That's what it means to bless God. So, so this actually isn't that foreign to us, as we might think. Um, we see this all the time. So I want you to imagine that you go to your neighbor's house, and your neighbor's an older woman, and her husband recently passed. And so... Uh, you are going over there to mow her lawn. And you mow her lawn, and you finish mowing the lawn, and you walk back to your yard. And as you're walking away, she opens the door, and she waves to you, and she says what? She says, bless you, right? So we do this. It's not, it's not uncommon for us. So she's saying, thank you. Thank you for what you have done for me. So we too, by blessing God, are saying, thank you for what you have done for us as a people and for me as an individual. So in Hebrew, in the Hebrew language, there is a switch from the singular you in verses 1 to 5 of our text to the plural us in verses 6 to 12 of our text. So now, why is the psalmist calling us to bless God? And it's you know, primarily because God deserves it. He deserves our blessing. But also, by our very nature, we have a strong and a sinful temptation to go inward. To go inward, into ourselves. And it could look like this. Life is hard. 
The week was difficult. The children are misbehaving. The test came back with a bad grade. Maybe two friends are in a fight. Maybe your car is broken. Maybe it's just a cloudy day in Pittsburgh, and what do you do? How do you react? You forget. You forget, and you go inward, and you forget who you are in Jesus. You forget your condition before God, and we go inward, and we begin to define ourselves to these little micro-steps apart from who God says that we really are. And by beginning with blessing in this psalm, the psalmist is removing our eyes that are stuck on ourselves, and he is moving our eyes to rest on the work of God. And here's the sermon. That work, God's work, defines your condition. You see verse 2. Bless the Lord and forget not his benefits. Blessing combats forgetfulness. Blessing God combats our forgetful hearts that forget our true condition before God, or the text says, our benefits before him. And what are the benefits? What, are, what is our condition? Verses 3 to 5. Here's your condition. That you have been forgiven, healed, redeemed, crowned, satisfied, and renewed. And that is who you are in Jesus Christ. And let me clarify what the psalmist is getting at. All of these verses 3 to 5 or what in Hebrew is called, Hebrew poetry is Hebrew parallelism. And you can see it in the English, actually. You see it says, who, 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 who. So then healing diseases is put in parallel with forgiving sins. So it's not just so much the healing of our physical bodies that the psalmist is getting at, which God does, but the healing of our sinful souls. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And redeeming your life from the pit is not just a physical pit that you've fallen into, it's death. We read in our call to confession that the wages of sin is death. And in contrast, God takes you from death and he just doesn't give you physical life. He gives you eternal, steadfast love and mercy. And the good he satisfies you with is not just good stuff but it's true and it's lasting good. Just like when Mary had Jesus in her womb and she sang a song, people call it Mary's Magnificat, and she said what? She said, praise God because he fills the hungry with good things. She wasn't talking about food, she was talking about the coming of our Savior, the bread of life who sustains your souls. Christian, this is your condition, but if you fail to bless God, it is easy to forget your condition. So let me ask you, do you bless God when you pray? Or do you skip over and just go straight to the give me my daily bread portion in your prayer life? So remember how Jesus prays. He begins, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. He begins by acknowledging and blessing the Lord. Do you bless God when you are tempted to go inward into yourself when the pressures of life come upon you? I know that I can struggle with this temptation. I can be slow to go and to bless God and to reorient my heart in those moments. Do you bless God so that your heart can be renewed like the eagle's? 
So the picture of the eagle is one of soaring in life and vitality, and that only comes when we draw our attention to the one who gives us life. Blessing God renews your heart. It is a blessing to you. So perhaps this is a challenge for you. Now, some of us are not just forgetful, but like me, we are downright rebellious. This is our second point. Just straight up rebellion. So the next uh, verses, 6 to 12, deal with the story of Israel's direct rebellion against God and God's delivering of a rebellious and consequently oppressed people. So who were these oppressed people in verses 6 to 7? I want you to remember that these were God's people oppressed by Pharaoh, right? But God remembered his people. He sent Moses as their mediator, called them out of Egypt into the promised land, but before getting there, his people continued to rebel, and yet God was faithful. And this is what verse 7 is referring to in just two short lines, that God's acts to the people of Israel, acts of salvation and deliverance, deserve praise. And we do this and bless God. So verses 6 to 7 assume that you, the reader, knows the Exodus story. Now to prove this further, verse 8 comes directly from a point in the Exodus story right after Moses is given the first set of Ten Commandments. Remember, the people rebelled because they were impatient waiting for him to come down off the mountain. And they did what? They made a golden calf to worship. Now, I can't recount the whole story of that golden calf, but God was not happy about it. But yet God remained faithful to his people, and so God makes a second set for Moses, for the people. And then we read this in Exodus 34, and it's easiest for me to just read this to you. We heard it earlier, but I want you to see the similarities between verse 8 and what David had in mind. It was written here in Exodus 34. So here, Exodus 34, starting in verse 5. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation, And Moses quickly bowed his head down to the earth and worshipped, and he said, If now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us, for it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for your inheritance. So you have an oppressed people that God saves, brings, and promises land to them, and then they rebel against God, only for God to continue to remain faithful to them. So who does this remind you of? So it reminds me of me. And hopefully it reminds you of you. So we all, we, all of us at various times in our lives will act rebelliously. And there are times in my life that nothing is necessarily going wrong and yet I will sin. I will rebel. And I know I'm not alone in this. Are there times in your life that you just straight up rebel against God? Something you have done and you know it's wrong and perhaps it's very, very wrong, but you did it and you're not sure now where you stand with the Lord. You feel that fear creep in. What is my condition now before God? What have I done? 
So I have a friend uh, who gave me permission to share this story, but he had fallen into some serious uh, sexual sin with his girlfriend at the time. And one day they finally went too far, and my, my friend, after that incident, called his Christian friend because he didn't know what to do. And he told me that the first thing his Christian friend did after he picked up the phone, he, my friend told him what happened, is he read him this passage. Now I want you to imagine, you just committed some heinous sin. Maybe, maybe this has happened in your life. Maybe it's happening now. And this is what is read to you. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He will not always accuse, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heaven is above the earth, so great is his steadfast love for those who fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. My friend melted in tears because he was reminded of his true condition. You may have rebelled even directly against God, but God does not treat you how you deserve, and forgiveness is possible. So why the tears? Because the greatest news for someone who thinks that they have messed up so much that there is no more hope, the greatest news they can receive is that there's still hope. That they have not been rejected, but forgiven, and their shame has been removed. You see that in the text. Verses 9 to 10 are about God's forgiving and dealing with sin. And verses 11 to 12 is God saying that, that shame is removed so far um, as the east is from the west. And then verse 11, that he still loves you. And not just a little bit. As high as the heavens are above the earth. It's his steadfast love for you. So how is this possible? We know it's possible because just as the Old Testament Believers looked forward to the Savior. They looked forward to the promises of the Messiah. We look back on the work of Jesus, our Savior. We know that Jesus bared our sins and he took our shame on the cross so that we could have this kind of attitude towards us, so that God could have this kind of attitude towards us. And listen, if you have rebelled against God and Jesus is your Savior, then these promises are for you in this song. You must hear the good news, especially in your rebellion. The same way God provided the Ten Commandments a second time for the people of Israel, He provides forgiveness and healing for you. Now I have to say this. If you do not know Jesus here today, this is offered to you as well. But I want you to see verse 11. It says, it is for those who fear God. That means that this kind of radical grace is yours, but only if you believe that it was paid for you on the cross by Jesus. So I invite you to consider the sin and the mistakes that I know weigh in your heart, and would you let God remove them? Would you let Him take them from you and let Christ bear what you cannot bear? Now, there's one more kind of condition we're going to look at that we can be tempted to define ourselves by today, and that's one of weakness. This is verses 13 to 16. So we encounter weakness in verses 13 to 19, actually, um, first through the picture of a father having compassion on his children. So verse 13, as a father shows compassion on his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. 
and he remembers that we are dust. So look, sometimes we can view ourselves through the lens of weakness, and I know that many of you and I can struggle with this. Now there's a sense in the text that God is actually saying, yes, in fact, you are weak. You're mortal. You are, verses 15 to 16, like, like a flower is here today and gone tomorrow, quickly our life can be over. So David is saying that in fact, yes, we are weak. You are weak. In fact, you're far weaker than you realize. You're dust. It's a reference to God's creating man from dust and to dust man will return in Genesis. But the difference between a person who knows they are weak and defines themselves as weak lies in their relationship with God. You see, some of you struggle to think that your whole identity is wrapped up in your weakness. That your weakness defines you. So for example, I have an autoimmune disease. And I can be tempted to define myself by my illness. But a Christian, for a Christian, weakness does not define you. The difference for a Christian is we recognize we are all weak and we all have weaknesses, but we have someone who we are united to, who is on our side, who is very, very, very strong. The picture is a compassionate father. Now, I recognize many of you have had bad examples of fathers, but here we're given a good example of what a father is. A good father recognizes the weakness of their children. A good father recognizes how fragile their children are, and he acts accordingly. So, look, I'm learning compassion as I learn the weakness of my son. Um, I have a a one-and-a-half-year-old son, and he just had a fever this week of 104. And it is so sad when your baby gets sick, and you can hear him coughing back there, um, because an already weak child becomes even weaker. And I'll tell you what, my compassion meter just rises in me when your kid's sick, because I recognize the state of my son, and I meet him there. He gets extra hugs, and he gets to watch a little uh, TV that he wouldn't get to watch before, and to rest more. Now, I'm also learning compassion when my son is healthy. Uh, As a grown man, you recognize how much stronger you are than your baby child. Uh, You have to be gentle with him. You learn to speak softly and act in gentle ways, and They like to wrestle, but when you wrestle with him, you know you're not really wrestling with him. You're being compassionate to him. So listen, if we can just get a glimpse, a glimpse of the compassion an adult man can have to his baby's son, do you not think that an all-powerful God who is far, far greater than mortal you can recognize your condition and have compassion on you? God knows we're weak. He knows we're fragile. He knows we are mortal and he has compassion on you. And I'll say it again. He knows that you are weaker than you know. Maybe you're here today and you struggle the opposite way. Maybe you struggle with pride. And you think you're stronger than you are. I want you both sides to listen to the good news of the gospel. God will be revealing your whole life more and more the depths of your weakness. So that he can show you the strength of his steadfast love towards you. Let me put it another way. As mortal and as fragile as we are, in the opposite way is how strong and great God's steadfast love is for you. That's the juxtaposition we get in this psalm. The text in verse 17 says, this is how great, from everlasting to everlasting. 
on those who fear him. God's promises by his power and strength are so great that they extend to the children's children. Exodus 20 says it extends to a thousand generations. Now I need to make something clear here. God's grace and power does work through covenant families. That's what we would call the normal means by which he works. It's the normal means of grace. But in verse 18, it is for those who, what? Who keep his covenant and do his commandments. So there is a corporate nature to how God works in our lives. How his steadfast love applies to us. But there is an individual aspect too. Just because you are a child of a believing parent um, does not mean that you are saved necessarily. That as an individual, we still are required to love and obey and fear him. Not just us part of our, being part of our families. Now, of course, there's going to be forgiveness when we rebel. We just read about it. Uh, but I believe David's making a distinction here between verses 17 and 18. That God graciously works through families, but there still must be individual faithfulness. So here's what I want you to remember. I want you to remember that you have a compassionate father who loves you and he knows your weakness. He's worked through the means of grace, by God's grace through your family. If your parents knew the Lord, mine didn't, but he still was gracious to me. I want you to know um, that you have a father who loves you in your weakness, who still requires your obedience, but who sees you as righteous, not because of that obedience but because there was one who was obedient in your place. Jesus was strong when you were weak. Jesus was obedient when you were disobedient. And Jesus shows you steadfast love and offers you eternal life because in his weak human body, he was crushed. And that was so you could be preserved. And I could be preserved. So let me conclude the way that the psalm concludes in verses 19 to 22. Because God loves you even when you're forgetful. Because God loves you even when you directly rebel against him. And because God loves you even in your weakness, let all creation bless him. Let all creation bless him. Our psalm turns back again to blessing God. And it's as if the symphony kind of gives its final closing note of praise at the end of our psalm. Let the angels, let the mighty ones, let the hosts, the ministers, let everything over which he has dominion. Bless him. Because he's worthy. The psalm returns, bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Brother and sister in Christ, would you bless God this week by blessing him and combating your forgetfulness? Would you bless God by coming back and receiving forgiveness when you're rebellious? And would you bless God for the steadfast love that helps us in our weakness and receive the compassion that he has for you? Let's pray.